Go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now, runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome back to the Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. My name's Hal Bryan and I'm one of the hosts on the Green Dot. I'm the senior editor for print and digital content and publications at EAA and coming to you uh, remotely from uh, a series of undisclosed locations, uh, often in person on my left. Now <laughs> I have no idea where it is. I'm Chris Hendry. I'm the EAA Aviation Museum Programs Coordinator. And then somewhere I think south of me, but I'm not certain. Tom Charpentier, Government Relations Director. Cool. And again, just like last time, it's a <laughs> it's a green dot, uh, a special reunion of the original green dorks. That's um, it. We're going old I'm going to say that until I, somebody besides me likes it. I'm just, just going <laughs> to we'll let you know. Made. <laughs> oh, good. Great. I can't wait. <laughs> So anyway, we thought uh, we thought we'd get together. We've we've been talking movies, we've been talking books, um, and there's another topic we've dabbled in here and there on the show, depending on the guest. But we've never uh, just uh, had the three of us sit down and nerd out about uh, about flight simulation. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's one of the things that I think is a gateway drug for a lot of people. I mean, when you're a kid with a computer and uh, you know you were looking for some gaming or some you know, something cool to do. I mean, flight sims, I think, are, are I think they're, they're just as much a, a part of getting, you know, young people interested in aviation as model airplanes were uh, and still are. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, you guys, of course, know my, um, my background uh, prior to EAA. I spent 11 years uh, at Microsoft working on the flight simulator series there. Uh, so I've certainly got some weird biases and things. But I was also, uh, I've been a lifelong user of, of Sims. Uh, the first IBM PC that came home, uh, we bought the first, uh, first you know, version 1.0 of Flight Sim we, that, uh, when that came out. And I was, uh, I was, I think, 12 going on 13 when that happened. And, you know, here I am decades and decades later and, and uh, still enjoy them. And it's, uh, it, it, it's one of those things that... Uh, it, it's not only it, it, fun from the aviation side, but it's also, to me, always been interesting from the technology side to, to take these computers that we have on our desks and in our pockets and in our briefcases and see what uh, what they can do. Yeah, well, I would ask you, when you went to work at uh, Microsoft, was that, uh, was that pretty cool? I mean, going to work for a product that you kind of knew already and had a, you know, certainly had a name for itself. I sent my wife uh, an email an hour into my first day because uh, I'd been at Microsoft for uh, two or three years, yeah, maybe closer to four years, actually, before I found my way onto that team. And uh, I sent this email to her, and it just said, I am a pig. My job is slop. <laughs> I was just – never forget that. That was back in 98. Um, so I got to work on uh, uh, some patches and sort of post-release stuff for Flights of 98 – then we rolled right into combat flight sim, and for the next uh, several years, it was sort of back and forth from a combat flight sim, then back to the civilian one based on releases. Um, worked as a, a test engineer, which was really cool. It came from product support, which meant you had to sit on the phone and try to help somebody solve a problem. And then I switched to testing, which just meant you really didn't care about the solution. You just had to point out the problems. And I'm, I'm good at that. I'm really judgmental. Um, I'm picky. <laughs> I can be a real jerk. So... Uh, uh, so that was, uh, that was fantastic and worked from, like I said, the tail end of flight sim 98 all the way through the last of FSX and, uh, what we call DSP, which you now know is, uh, prepared by Lockheed Martin. 
So, yeah, great times. Yeah, I think um, when I was a kid, my parents had, I think it was an IBM 486 uh, in the early 90s. And um, I think the only game that was on that computer was, oh gosh, you can help me with this, Hal. It was uh, probably FS4. It was still wireframe graphics and it had the airplane creator okay. and the and the uh, Red Baron, uh, you know, combat sim in it. Oh, sure. Yeah, so the, yeah, the, the Red Baron stuff was... Uh... Um, that was there from the very, very beginning. And, you know, the wireframe stuff. FS4 that had the airplane creator had what we called sort of flat shading. It was sort of wireframe, but you it could support up to like 16 colors of EGA at yeah. the time, too. So just starting to transition into something that was uh, sort of optionally wireframe or you could have some some solid colors into it. Yeah, that, so I always wonder how much that actually played into, you know, uh, I think all three of us, uh, you know, we, we say as far back as we can remember, we were airplane nerds. And I mean, uh, how the your origin story is pretty obvious, uh, you know, uh, growing up at an airport. Uh, but uh, sure. you know, I think for my for, for me, that, that may definitely be a big part of it. But. I remember uh, I remember getting um, one of my, my my first flight sim actually wasn't regular flight sim. It was combat flight sim simulator, and it was like you were in Europe. It was a European theater. Okay, so that was the first one. Just yeah, CFS one. Yeah. Oh man, that was awesome. Like I just remember like we downloaded that you know or loaded it onto the computer, and then uh, I had a couple buddies over and like we literally played that until like two in the morning, and uh, just you know. You died. It's my turn. <laughs> but uh, but what was neat was the two guys that were with me, they weren't diehard airplane nuts. They just thought this was like totally cool. Like nobody had seen anything quite like that. Um, so it was really kind of an interesting way to get someone maybe not a history buff, not a warbird buff, but suddenly you know they were kind of rattling stuff off like, oh no, man, you got to go with the P fifty one. You know, and I'm like, how do you, you know how do you even know what a P fifty one is? So <laughs> it was kind of interesting. <laughs> Well, you know, I think it's uh, it, it. You know, it confirms what we have uh, we have said at least in private conversations, time and time again, is that uh, uh, simulators of almost any kind like this can they can teach. You know, they can inspire people. They can get people excited about it. But uh, um, you know, before long, you're you're actually learning things. You know, one of the um, maybe just thinking of CFS one in particular, one of the most fun things. Uh, that we would do during the testing of that one was um, importing Flight Sim 98 scenery and aircraft. So if you had Combat Flight Sim 1 and you owned Flight Sim 98, you could copy scenery files over. So I remember uh, my buddy and boss, uh, Steve Wilson, uh, and I sitting there um, moving files around, getting modern-day Honolulu into CFS-1, and then uh, bringing in the Bell 206 helicopter, uh, and then arming them to the teeth and then having these blue thunder style dogfights <laughs> through downtown Honolulu. And That's I realizing, awesome. and I said, we could just, we could put this in a box and sell it. Just honestly, you know, helicopter dogfights in Hawaii. It was so much fun. And yet if you, you know, if you had the, if you owned each copy of the, the software, you could just throw it in and do it. That's amazing. I remember, you know, it's one of the cool things about flight simming that I, I'm sure we'll get into is you know add-ons and mods and things like that are are about limitless for for these things and i remember i really felt special uh the day that i flew airwolf to eaa and landed at pioneer airport and went to work <laughs> i i i'm like this i think i even sent you a screenshot of it how i'm like yes. my day is complete i flew airwolf to work <laughs> and landed you know right next to like where basically where that sort of uh um 
you know, picnic bench, uh, roof, uh, what do you want to call it? Uh, a little Basically, gazebo out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, yes. Thank yeah. you. I, I landed next to the gazebo, bay, which is amazing, by the way. Like, the gazebo is depicted, <laughs> you know, if you turn the graphics up on Pioneer, it's like, oh, I can actually, I've I've eaten lunch there, you know. And, uh, right. so, yeah, I, I really felt pretty special flying Airwolf to work that day. <laughs> yeah, the whole add-on world has always been, uh, been so much fun, whether you're talking about, uh, you know, Microsoft Flight Sim or X-Plane or any of the other, other platforms out there. Um, it's... It's incredible. Um, I once uh, <laughs> once accidentally uh, lied on uh, uh, Belgian television. Um, it was uh, we had this big multinational press event at Microsoft about uh, uh, must have been FSX at this point, and uh, um, I mentioned that uh, they're asking me about aircraft and stuff, and I said, "Well, there are two dozen aircraft that are included." And, you know, and then thousands, tens of thousands more available online from other, other suppliers. And um, somehow two dozen, when you translate it in, I, I think it was Flemish was the native language of the interviewer. Two dozen sounded like 2,000. So I'm, I'm there just promising, sure, just buy, you get 2,000 airplanes for free in the box. But luckily, the add-on world kind of saved me there because you really could go out and download that many. Yeah, how you you know you, you were saying how how simulators um, can really help teach and you know of course the airline world has been uh, using sims and military as well I mean you know go back to the link trainers and before that I mean it's uh, it's always been kind of part of their world but um, I don't know that that desktop simulators have really ever or at least until recently have really been taken seriously um, you know by the GA community but when I was growing up I mean you know I, I kind of progressed from you know just a basic joystick and um, you know flying uh, just kind of flying and crashing for fun you know on the on the, uh, right. on the early games all the way to um, you, you know getting my first uh, yoke and rudder pedals and all of that and by the time I actually started um, training for real yeah I mean the the motion of the aircraft is something you can never replicate on a desktop sim. Um, but you know some of the basic control forces, I, I definitely, um, I definitely was familiar with having, having played uh, Flight Simulator a lot. And then, um, in particular, you know, when, starting in um, uh, what was it, Flight Sim 2002, um, there was uh, ATC functionality in Flight Sim, um, including Yu Hao, who's one of the voices in it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> male voice, male voice zero. If you uh, choose that as a pilot voice in the user interface, so. Not one. He said, yeah. And, and honestly, you know, the first time I, I flew um, ATC with the instructor, the only thing I have to say is that he wanted me to say things in a particular order. And I could sure. not break um, my instinct to say things in the in the order that Flight Simulator does it. So it took, it took me a little ah. while to uh, <laughs> uh, to get a little bit more uh, loose with my um, uh, with 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 actually talking on the radio. But um you know, just a little little thing like that. I mean, a lot of a lot of pilots talk about mic mic fright, and um, uh, I I never really had that because um, you, you know I was just so used to using uh, air traffic control in the game. Right. Well, and even if the phraseology isn't exactly what your instructor wanted you to use, and that is uh, as an aside, that's a uh, that's an interesting thing, and it can be a, a problem with certain people using desktop simulators. Is you can. Um, as my uh, a buddy of mine used to work with uh, used to say, practice makes permanent. Um, you know, you could develop a bad habit in in flight sim, and that could carry over into the real world. So you've always got to be be cautious of those things. Um, but uh, 
when it came to implementing, you know, air traffic control on FS8, you know, we uh, did everything we could to just sort of go absolutely, you know, absolutely by the book and by the aim and use, you know, use exact phraseology because it's a, it's a computer. There's not really, you know, we were, it wasn't anywhere near sophisticated enough. It wasn't like there was AI behind it that could introduce some little variations or, or things like that. So we did, you know, we did our, our best and it's, it's in retrospect, you know, now it sort of seems a bit stilted and slow, but the steps are there. You know, if you're, if you're flying IFR and you start with clearance delivery and then ground and, you know, all these sorts of things, tower departure and route, um, you really do get an idea of what the what the steps are of of something like an IFR yeah, flight, and for you, example. I was just going to say um, uh, how that you um, you mentioned IFR, and and that's kind of something that's that's the next step for me. Is you know I, I've been um, I've been procrastinating on starting my um, my instrument training for a, a number of years now, but um, you know I've been doing a lot of IFR flights in the sim. And um, you know, I, I think I can read a, a plate pretty pretty well now, and and uh, and understand the ATC steps, and um, you know I shoot approaches and stuff like that. So you know, hopefully, hopefully that's kind of the next step, and that'll get that that the, the experience I've had in the sim will give me a leg up uh, in the real world. I think you're going to find it's it's going to be huge. I mean, I did my instrument rating a billion years ago in uh, 1988, 89, and uh, um, so that was. Trying to think which which flight sim version that was back then. It was still pretty pretty rudimentary, but it was even then it was still it was still helpful. Um, as the you know the, the thing with the, with the desktop flight simulator, you mentioned controls and things like that. Um, you're not necessarily going to develop you know muscle memory of uh, like f- physically flying the airplane, um, and you're not going to get the kinesthetic senses, uh, seat of your pants stuff. But you can practice the thinking. And, and to me, the, the instrument rating was, uh, I think even to this day, probably the hardest test, the hardest check ride I've ever taken. And, um, being able to practice between lessons, to think about it, to keep your head engaged and just stepping through things like, you know, holding, uh, pattern entries and, uh, NDB, uh, or excuse me, DME arcs and all those kinds of things, um, in the especially in the days before GPS, since I'm super old, um, yeah. it was uh, it was amazing. It was really it was incredible to be able to to do that, and it it boggles my mind to think about people who either don't take advantage of that opportunity because it's they have it now and it's you know so much better now, even with uh, FSX that you get from uh, from Steam, even though that's still basically a 14 15 year old piece of software. X Plane, of course, uh, still being regularly developed, prepared. Uh, having uh, steady development in it, any of those things uh, will be a huge leg up for anyone, uh, anyone learning instrument stuff. Because if you can practice the thinking, you know, the, me- the mechanics of holding headings and standard rate turns and stuff are, uh, are just yeah. a breeze. Sorry, Chris, I stepped on you back there. Oh, not at all. I, I, was, I was saying some of the same stuff you did, so. <laughs> that, but uh, Chris, so... were you going to say it better? Because I'd, I'd like you to have that opportunity. Yes, yes, yes. It would have been much more elaborate. You know? <laughs> well, Chris, one of the things that, uh, that you and I have played around with a little bit, um, and it's something I've actually been uh, playing with uh, since high school. Gosh, um, the, let's see, what year is it? Yeah, 15 years ago, um, is, uh, is FS Economy, which is a plug-in for Flight Simulator. Um, that's it's actually a fairly simple it's just a database that's online Um, but what it does is it is it generates assignments that pay virtual money 
that go from different airports to different airports. And then what you can do in the game is you can fly those assignments, you can accumulate, uh, you know, quote unquote money, uh, and then you can spend that money on uh, owning aircraft that you then fly in the game uh, or um, buying FBOs at airports and, and different other uh, kind of economic devices. People people band together and fly together in kind of like these virtual Part 135 operations and stuff like that. And the thing I really like about it is not so much the, um, you, you know, uh, it, it is kind of a fun diversion for Flight Simulator, but one of the things I really like about it is that it gives me a challenge as far as, um, as, as what I'm going to be doing in my Flight Sim session because um, it will basically give me where I, what it, where I'm going, um, what I'm flying, uh, and then I fly with real-world weather. So I get the challenge of flying in different aircraft and then also having to, you know, plot a course. Um, you know, maybe I might be going through the mountains in Alaska or I might be, um, you know, flying out here in the Midwest in, in weather and stuff like that. Um, so that's been – that's added a dimension to Flight Sim that if, uh, you know, those of you listening who, who, um, who do use um, – any 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 GA flight sim, um, uh, flight MS flight simulator uh, prepared or um, X plane, it all works with that. Yeah, I have so, to tell the story here. Okay. Oh, uh, yes, yes. You I, do. I have to tell this story. <laughs> of, we're all so me and Tom were roommates with two other good friends of ours, and Tom uh, basically says, uh, you know, in the evening, like, hey. Uh, you want to play some flight sim? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, I do this thing called economy. So I have my business that I run. Um, and I just bought a DC-3. So do you want to help me fly it uh, to back home, which is in New England somewhere? And I'm like, sure, that'd be really neat. Little did I know that when you buy the airplane, it's literally like like a real airplane. Like where you bought it and it's at this airport and you have to go out and get it. And, like, Tom will remember exactly where, but we had to fly this DC-3 home from, like, Saudi Arabia or something like that in real time. It took, like, a week to get this DC-3 back to New England. And, like, throughout the week, like, the hallway that we were flying in became, like, the cargo bay of a DC-3 where, like, like random, my one, our one roommate ended up, like, playing guitar behind us. And, like, it was just this absurd. I wish we would have recorded it because... Uh, it was a pretty fun virtual adventure. I think we used a little <laughs> bit of time compression, but uh, it still took a week, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it took an entire week of just like, okay, you shoot this approach, I'll shoot the next one, and we just fuel stops and weather, and uh, it, it was kind of, it was pretty neat, though. I mean, you had to, yeah, you got an idea of what kind of an adventure that must be to go out and get an airplane like that and do something yeah. like that. I also remember when Lilia discovered oh. your underground, uh, t Tom, your girlfriend discovered uh, your <laughs> underground uh, flight simulator business. It was fantastic. Yeah, she was, uh, she was, it, that, that was, that was kind of like, uh, you know, by, by, uh, I didn't actually realize that was a secret I was keeping from her until I mentioned it to her. And I, like, did she call you or something like that? Yeah, you guys, it was a conference yeah. call that night. And it was funny because it was like, I found out something about Tom and we need to talk about it. And I'm like, oh, God, like, like what is it? Like, yes. maybe I didn't know this. And she's just like, he had an underground business flying virtual airlines. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I was part of this. Yeah, he's spending real time doing pretend work for pretend money. There's nothing, exactly. Yeah, there's nothing in the world wrong with that but, you know Tom, you made an interesting point with the fs economy thing that uh um you know adding a, a dimension to to any of these desktop simulators and that's that's always an interesting challenge because 
um, the approach of so many of them, certainly that certainly Microsoft flight sim, absolutely. Our approach was, uh, we're going to give you the world. Here's the whole planet. Here's every airport, every nav aid, here's weather, here's ATC and here's, you know, two dozen or 2000 if you're Belgian, uh, airplanes and, uh, um, you just go do whatever you want. And then, you know, we eventually rolled in some submissions and scenarios and things, but, um, there's a time when that is really appealing, but there's also a time when you sit down and you think, I kind of wish somebody would suggest something, you know, either just put me at a random airport or, you know, set me up something or give me a, you know, give me a scenario or something. When you're learning to fly, uh, you certainly, you certainly have maneuvers to practice. Tom, as you start your instrument training, you'll want to go out and shoot approaches. But it was, uh, it's always been fascinating to me to see, you know, other people come with and lay other things on top of these platforms. And a great example would be our own yeah. uh, virtual flight Academy. We've got, uh, if you've got uh, flight simulator X, the steam edition, um, you know, EA members get the, the first six, uh, basically first six lessons, uh, for a private for free. And that drops in on top of the flight simulator and you got a virtual instructor who's, who's talking you through maneuvers and then debriefing and giving you a bit of a rating afterward and things like that. Um, so there's, uh, you know, there, there's no end of, uh, no end of things out there that, uh, that will give you ideas and stuff to try. Um, one of my favorite things to do, or maybe not even favorite, but more valuable things I've always done with any, uh, any flight sim, uh, is, uh, pre-flying, uh, cross country. If I'm going to go fly from, you know, A to B to C and back to A and B and C are airports I've never been before. I'll sit down in a flight simulator and try it first um, just to get an idea of the lay of the land. And, of course, the newer the flight sim, the better the and more accurate the scenery is. But I, I found that even when it wasn't sort of photorealistic, if you're thinking, okay, I'm, you know, I'm flying, a, you know, heading of 275 and coming to this, I'm going to see the town here and then kind of the airport's at 11 o'clock, but it's on this side of that river and then there's a little hill off to the right. You know, those you, getting those landmarks fixed in your head and then thinking about, OK, well, if the winds are as forecast, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to enter the downwind on a 45 from here. Thinking about all that stuff in advance and then sort of seeing it once when you get in the real airplane and make the flight, you would swear you'd been there before, even if it didn't look identical, even if it didn't look all that much like it, just knowing that the key waypoints and the key sort of features are in the right spot makes a huge, huge difference in, uh, in preparing your thinking. Yeah. I, um, so you mentioned doing pre-flying, um, across countries, which yeah, I definitely did too. Um, especially when I was training, but, um, I think a corollary to that is that it can also teach you some skills um, that are useful in the real world, um, you know, beyond the basics, uh, you know, just different types of flying that you're not necessarily used to. Um, a good example of that, and believe me, I'm not necessarily saying that you should teach yourself how to do mountain flying in, in simulators or anything I like that. I probably shouldn't say this, um, but... You know, I... <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, but, you know, I, I have been doing... I, I have flown a lot um, in the... Um, so those of you familiar with, uh, with, with flight simulator and, and Lockheed Martin prepared probably know about Orbix, the, uh, uh, the company that does like just amazing, uh, photorealistic, uh, immersive terrain, uh, for the sim. And, and they do some very, very nice packages, uh, for terrain in Alaska. So I've done a lot of flying up in Alaska in, in the sim. 
Um, and you know, there's a lot of, um, of mountain valleys you have to fly through and stuff like that. And so I learned to, you know, if I'm doing a cross country through there to kind of plot my course through the low path, you know, the, the low spots and stuff like that. Well, you know, then when John and I went out to, um, uh, to fly the one week wonder back, that was really my first, that was my first time crossing the continental divide in an airplane. And, um, Thankfully, the weather was beautiful, so we didn't really need to worry too much about terrain. But, um, you know, still a lot of those same skills were helpful when I was kind of plotting our course out of Phoenix up into the mountains and stuff like that. It's uh, it's amazing. Um, I have always found in my my flying career that that, uh, um, you know, you're planning that cross country trip in, in an area you haven't seen before. It's unfamiliar. You do it once. And then the, the second time you, you fly that route or fly into that airport it seems like it's a thousand times easier because, and there's, there's, there's something really, really powerful about that sense of familiarity. And it's really cool that you can, you can sit at a computer and kind of, um, kind of borrow that familiarity without, uh, you know, and give yourself that leg up without having actually been there in person. And it's always going to look and feel, you know, very different in reality than sitting at a desk, but, uh, um, it's still, uh, it, it can still make a huge difference. Yeah, definitely. All right, so we talked a lot about um, about flight sim, a little bit about um, X plane. Those are kind of your your uh, your two major uh, civilian uh, GA, um, well, and airline sure. simulators that are out there. Uh, what are some other um, sims that you guys are uh, are interested in flying? Well, one I'll throw out uh, uh, real quick. This is. Uh, and I've got a few from, from my past that are sort of long gone, but before we get to those, um, one that might, people might not immediately think of, but it's, uh, it's one called real flight it's an RC simulator. And by, I have been a, a, a fan of it for geez, 25 years, something like that. I, I couldn't even tell you when the first one came out, but I've used them, you know, sort of on and off for a long time. I don't sort of slavishly jump to every release. Like I kind of wish I did, but, uh, um, you, you might think, well, that's just for, you know, you guys won't. But some people might say, well, that's just for toy airplanes. We're talking about you know, simulating real airplanes. But, you know, physics is physics. And just because the airplane is smaller, it doesn't somehow, uh, you know, magically operate under different rules. And, uh, you know, real flight excels at things like uh, stall and spin modeling. Um, I used to hold do competitive analysis and I would hold that up against what we were doing at Microsoft and say, look, this is how stalls and spins are done. And we never really even got very close to uh, what they did. But I think more importantly is uh, if you want to learn RC stuff, um, you use real flight, you're holding, uh, you know, either a, a perfect duplicate of a real controller, or you can even use your actual real radio with a cable, plug it into your computer and you're looking at a screen instead of up in the sky, but otherwise, you know, every movement, everything you do, your view, your perspective and everything is about as close to the real thing as you could possibly get, um, short of maybe uh, doing it in VR, which to be honest, I haven't even looked lately to see if real flight supports uh, VR goggles. Uh, if it does so much, the better, but, I think that makes it, uh, I, I would argue that, that uh, any of the simulators we talk to, if there's one that most closely and sort of near perfectly recreates the actual activity, I think it's, uh, it's real flight. Now, there's other great RC sims out there. I'm kind of partial to real flight, but there's some good competitors out there. Uh, and by coincidence, uh, a guy named Jim Bork um, 
was the the founder and sort of creator of Real Flight for years and years and years, is uh, heavily involved in IAC. He's our IAC membership chair. He just wrote a feature for Sport Aviation Magazine. I think it was the either the May or the June issues. I don't I don't know what year it is, much less what month. But anyway, there's my case <laughs> for uh, for Real Flight RC flying. And if I remember right. Um, Tom, you might know this better than I do, but with uh, with our e cadet, uh, the whole package that uh, that we provide to uh, we're able to provide to chapters that includes a copy of Real Flight, doesn't it? I believe it does. I'm not I'm not uh, extremely familiar uh, with the project. I'm embarrassed to say, but yeah, I, I believe it does have uh, uh, a sim in there uh, and. And yeah, I'll, I'll echo what you said, Hal. I can't remember if I flew an RC sim before I flew um, an RC in real life, but obviously one of the things that's really helpful about, um, again, this is kind of learning those skills, right? You know, you, you get to experience the I, the control reversal of the uh, aircraft um, coming right. toward you in the sim before you have to go out there and almost crash your real airplane. So, and just, uh, oh, that's absolutely right. That saved me so much money when I was... Uh... And I was already, you know, flying full-scale airplanes when I started um, seriously getting into RC. I had dabbled a little bit, uh, mainly just sort of looking over my older brother's shoulder as a little kid. But I, when I got into, you know, and say, okay, I really want to just go fly RC and stuff for its own sake, um, being able to practice was was amazing. And to clarify, yes, our uh, EAS Build and Fly program that's. Uh, uh, that we support through our chapters, um, in addition to the Sig Cadet and uh, uh, the Hobby Vapor, uh, the Horizon Hobby Vapor uh, indoor model. Uh, as of now, we're we're including a copy of Real Flight Nine, the RC Sim. So make sure that that was clear. Awesome. So great, uh, a great package, and boy, a great way to great way to learn this stuff without uh, demolishing model after model. <laughs> My, my first yeah. couple of months of RC flying, the airplane came home in grocery bags every time. <laughs> cool. Chris, what about you? Boy, I tell you what. I mean, I, I agree. Uh, I mean, outside of the flight sim and combat flight uh, sim stuff, and as well as, as the RC sim, I haven't really done too much except for... And I, and, and I know we were going to touch on this, but I got to fly um, the Redbird sim recently. And I was blown away. That was really, really cool. Um, one of my favorite moments, we have two Redbird Sims in the museum that uh, Warbirds uh, owns and uh, uh, we use for special events. And one of the coolest things I saw was they have, uh, one of the Redbird Sims is painted up as Old Crow, uh, the P-51 from World War II, uh, flown by Bud Anderson. And they put Bud Anderson back in the P-51. Uh, and, uh, and he was pulling off some pretty cool, uh, maneuvers. I mean, he made a landing and, uh, uh, I just thought it was pretty cool to see, you know, I, I happened to walk by it and it wasn't an announcement in true, like EAA, Oshkosh, you know, full fast forward motion. You know, there's so much cool stuff going on everywhere that there isn't announcements all the time for everything. And I'm just kind of like walking by and I'm like, well, that's, that's Bud Anderson flying a P-51 sim. <laughs> like that's pretty cool world war ii triple ace you know back in the uh, seat of a virtual mustang so uh i don't know the redbird stuff is pretty cool okay. yeah that's the, and that's an awesome sim the um the so we got we have yeah these two one-off sims one's a uh, p51 one's a corsair um i know that we uh we we, we put steve hinton in the uh, in the p51 too um were you there for that chris yeah oh yeah i was there yeah, he, like he um, he he hops in and you know it starts you off at like I don't know 
8,000 feet or something like that. He immediately brought it straight down to the deck and did this whole air show routine uh, for <laughs> us. <laughs> you know? uh, and, uh, but that's a really cool sim. And it's also, um, again, you know, a, a good example of, of, of skills you can train in the sim. Maybe skills that are maybe a little little dangerous to do in real life that you could do in the sim easy. Um, we've actually used that P fifty one as a spin trainer for our uh, employee flying club because it, it models a spin very well and it does give you just enough motion to um, to, to disorient you a little bit. Uh, and um, uh, so we've we've actually used that uh, to good, to great effect. And it's uh, uh, I always get a kick out of pointing out to people that the you know Redbird sims are. You know, high end. Uh, you know, some of the the bigger ones have full motion. Um, you know, really, really powerful uh, hardware thrown at them and stuff. It's a very immersive. You know, you climb in and sort of close the door behind you experience. Um, but there, uh, those would be running uh, prepared from Lockheed Martin, which is uh, just a development of ESP, which was a development of Microsoft Flight Sim. So, when, in fact, when Redbird was getting started, it was long before we had an enterprise version. And uh, it was always just—it was always cool to think that people would say, "Well, the Redbird simulators are realistic, but this thing I got at home, uh, you know, it's just a—it it must just be a toy because it's on my desktop computer, and it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's the same software. You've just got maybe, you know, a hundred thousand dollars worth of hardware to uh, to run it on, or, you know, whatever the the big number might be." Yeah, and we've got um, you know, we've got a, a pretty basic, I think, a TD two, so the um, kind of a, a, a desktop sim, but with the yoke and um, and and screens and radio controls and stuff like that, um, in our flying club hangar, and uh, that that's certified, you know, so that's that's basically running the the same the same basic code that you guys developed, uh, and it is a uh, you you can shoot approaches on that and log them. That is uh, that That's is wild. always very cool to very cool to hear, you know. And the whole question of uh, of logging or not uh, not logging that's uh that's always an interesting one because the um, the the challenge becomes you know the FAA doesn't approve software they don't approve hardware they approve a whole package and so that's where you know what Redbird and several others have done with any number of platforms X Plane or you know the the Microsoft family any of those um, and when you sit at a sim like that and you know you could log the time that that gives it an immense boost in credibility um but you know but never discount the ones you know never discount with what you can still learn just sitting at home with a joystick on your desk or a you know a yoke clamp to your desk and and your your home pc because uh it's like anything else you get out of it what what you put into it if you look at a simulator as a game and you want to fly the 747 upside down under the golden gate bridge cool you know, knock yourself out, have fun. Um, or, you know, if you're, if you're Tom and, uh, and you want a secret uh, clandestine career, uh, <laughs> you know, that you eventually have to confess to, um, or, you know, more seriously, Tom is somebody who's going to start instrument training. You know, if you sit down and say, I'm going to, I'm going to fly these approaches and do this IFR flight and I'm going to do it as real as I possibly can. And I'm going to try to fly to the practical uh, no, it's not practical test standards anymore. Is it certification standards? ACS, the ACS. Aircraft, or, uh, Airman Certification Standards. Yes. So if you if you put those uh, restrictions on yourself, whether or not you use any kind of external scenario, like we, we mentioned Virtual Flight Academy for private training and stuff like that, um, but if you just hold yourself to those standards and you bring that discipline, then you know, you'll know you get an immense amount out of it. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um 
I did want to quickly before we uh, we run out of time here. I, I wanted to go through just a couple of my my favorite other sims. Uh, first, um, we we when we were talking about civilian sims, we should have mentioned uh, Infinite Flight uh, since we featured it on our show um, a, a couple months ago. Um, that's a, that's an incredible mobile game, and it was it really kind of opened my eyes to uh, what's possible uh, on the mobile platform. And we talked a lot about that in, in that episode. Uh, and if you haven't tried uh, tried Infinite Flight, it will really surprise you. You won't believe what you can do just in you know, the palm of your hand or uh, or on a, uh, a tablet of some kind. Yeah, and it's it seems like uh, you know, especially the the, the generation that's uh, growing up right now, um, you know, they're much more likely to play mobile games than desktops. So that for them, that's that's kind of their their simulator. Right. Um, and then I was also just going to mention. So as far as uh, combat sims go, um, if you like World War II, I've always loved uh, IL-2. Um, that's a. Uh, it, it seems to kind of be the gold standard. Um, sorry, Hal. Uh, that is that has surpassed uh, CFS as far as uh, uh, the. Hey, CFS one and two were fantastic. Yeah. Three was kind of weird, and then that was yeah, the yeah. So good for IL two for for continuing to go. It, it is fantastic. And it's got some really great campaigns in it. Um, even some speculative ones of uh, you know like what might have happened if the war continued into 1946. You got these uh, weird jet contraptions flying around and stuff like that. It's that's a lot of fun. Um, and then there's a more there's, there's kind of an obscure series more obscure series of um uh, of jet combat sims i i know um dcs digital combat simulator is is generally considered like the best uh combat sim out there um i i played it i like it it just takes forever to learn because i mean it is like you could be you know you you could you could probably step into the actual airplane and like at least know how to start it if you uh you know if you if you play uh if you play dcs enough um you know every switch is modeled the same way that it is in the real airplane and stuff like that so every model that you get into you have to relearn you know how to run the whole airplane um if you're looking for a little bit less uh you know, a less completely immersive experience. There's a, a series of simulators called Strike Fighters um, from a developer called Third Wire. And um, what's cool about it is that they specialize on kind of the um, uh, the Cold War period from the 50s to the 80s. So you're... Um, you're you're trying to dogfight with like the early versions of like the Sidewinder missile and and and, uh, and Sparrow missile, which were extremely unreliable, um, you know, and, and, um, and having to do a lot of energy management and maneuvering and stuff like that. It's it's a lot of fun um, and also extremely moddable. Um, there's a really good modding community for that game, and uh, pretty much every mod package is free, other than the um, other than the downloadable content that the that the um, a developer puts out so there's all kinds of historical and speculative campaigns you can fly um and it's uh i i really enjoyed it for the last couple of years was that uh, mobile or is that uh, they desktop? actually did do a mobile game but the uh, the desktop is 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 my favorite um yeah they, okay. they uh they've got that um and then finally uh and, and chris will laugh at this one but uh there is a game out there called curveball space program uh, and I'm not laughing because of the game. I'm laughing because of what I've watched you do. So Kerbal Space Program is a, it looks like a arcade kind of cartoonish game. You're launching little green men and women into space. Um, but, but if you, and, and also like, you know, there are just hilarious things that happen when you do things wrong. You know, the rockets go out of control and explode and stuff like that. But 
the physics engine is actually very accurate and the physics that it teaches you about how to go into orbit, uh, how to land on other, um, you know, uh, planetary bodies, moons, things like that, transfer orbits, um, all sorts of things. I got to tell you, I took a college course and I have learned way more about physics from and, and, you know, and and orbital mechanics from this game than I have from any kind of formal education. Um, I kind of wish I had access to it earlier in my life. I I, I don't know. I might have um, thought a little bit harder about engineering. Um, But, you know, I've actually had like an intelligent conversation about rendezvous and docking with Charlie Precourt, who who was on the first space shuttle mission to the mirror. Uh, because of this game uh, so it's 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 a lot of fun and uh, and you know if you have any um, there there is an an, an, an air, um, airplane aspect to it too you can you can build space planes and you can fly in the atmosphere and stuff like that but it's uh, you build your own craft it allows for a lot of creativity there again there's a there's a very very um, good modding community so you can do historically accurate rockets and stuff like that uh, and um, I encourage everybody to check it out. It's uh, it's it's one of the more fun games I've ever played. Well, I, briefly, I have to tell another story, and it uh, it just involves uh, you were sort of up on like a Gemini or Mercury flight, um, and Tom gets out to do an EVA, and then his spacecraft went too far away from him. Oh no! And he strands his poor little green guy up there. <laughs> And then that guy has to like re-enter the atmosphere with no spacecraft, <laughs> so it did not end well. <laughs> but but I just remember hearing Tom in the other room going no no no, and we all ran in and and then there's this guy stranded and you can see his capsule just kind of floating away. <laughs> it's fantastic. Well, and you know the game allows for you to actually to to when you make a mistake to rewind to a safe point. But um, some people who play the game, that's actually where the where most of the fun is. Is like if they if they um, run out of fuel and strand their uh, their people, you know, in orbit around the moon or something like that, is is like coming up with a rescue mission to bring them back because they ran out of gas. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, it's uh, it, it's it's um it's not so much. I wouldn't call it a simulator, but it's definitely a very very powerful teaching tool, and I'm not kidding about that. Yeah, that's I, I've only taken the the briefest looks at it and realized that uh, okay, this is cool and it's something that I want to get into, but it's going to be a it's going to be a pretty major time sink too. So, um, but everything I've seen, it's it's interesting. Like you say, you've got your little green guys, you've got the sort of the silly element to it, but uh, um, everybody that I've talked to uh, says the same thing, sort of about the physics and the orbital mechanics and everything that you can learn from it, which is very cool. Um, Speaking of uh, of space stuff, and you, you mentioned Charlie flying the space shuttle. There's one, and I I think this came up when we talked with uh, Laura at Infinite Flight uh, some time ago. But uh, um, there's uh, there's this simple little sim uh, that I love on my uh, my iPhone called F Sim Shuttle, and um, it's all it is is a space shuttle landing simulator. So there's, you know, there isn't really a space component to it. You're already sort of in the atmosphere and you can set up scenarios or you can just launch it, tap quick flight and it'll decide whether, you know, it'll give you day or night and different winds and things. And uh, you're just flying by the HUD. You've got a, you know, the HUD with the flight director and you're just moving the, moving the phone as you would move flight controls. And there's something, um, you know, I can't attest to any degree of realism to it other than the fact that, uh, 
if if you just are in this mode where you say, hey, I want to just see if I can grease a landing in something, and obviously the shuttle is sort of a weird thing to practice that in, but you launch it, and you know five minutes later you're you're on the ground having having flown the landing either successfully or not, and then it rates you on your vertical speed and how close you are to the center line and things like that. But it's there's something really compelling about it. It actually just puts you in that mindset of uh, of uh, okay, I've got to really got to finesse this and I've got to fly very carefully. It's extremely uh, smooth performing. It's very responsive, things like that. So, um, you know, check it out out there and give that one a try. If you're looking for something just a little bit different or something just quick and easy, I want to just do one thing and that's, you know, try to land this space shuttle dead stick and see how well I do. And you, you feel the pressure pretty quickly to go try it again. If your, your first one isn't uh, as good as you wanted it to be. You know, I think, um, Chris, was it you or I or Max who had that a couple of years ago? Um, I, I think yeah. I played it, and I, I remember what, what we were trying. We were each challenging ourselves to do was to roll the shuttle and then get back on on glide slope and, and land. Oh yeah, yeah. I can't remember who, which one of I had something like that too. So I, I don't yeah. remember, but yeah. I tried it in like the Museum of Flights um, simulator. I tried rolling the shuttle, and it immediately kicked me out. I, I, I was really disappointed about that. Oh, that's not fun. <laughs> yeah, you know it could handle a one G roll. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if your career could handle that, but, you know, yeah. the, the, uh, the air and spacecraft. So I know we're uh, we're going a little bit long, but there's uh, um, I wanted to ask you guys if there's others that you remember, like from when you were younger, because there's uh, there's two that always jump out at me and I'll keep this quick. But one was uh, uh, one from the early 90s called Disney's Stunt Island. And it was uh, it was a flight simulator at its core, but the conceit was that you were you were making movies, and I haven't haven't seen it or even really thought about it in ages. But I have really fond memories of it. And the idea is that you would you'd be given a scenario, and uh, if I remember right, you would place cameras different places, um, you know, choose the uh, choose the aircraft and some other other variables, and then you know when you called action, you had to you know, fly whatever it was they needed you to do. And it might be, you know, you might be flying a Fokker triplane and kind of reenacting a World War One dogfight. Um, the one I always remember practicing over and over is placing cameras. And then, um, you know, for the action scene in this fictitious movie, uh, landing, I think, like a 172 on the Golden Gate Bridge. And that was, uh, that was tons of fun. And, of course, that it, sounds really cool. it's going to be pretty dated now. Um, I think it was 1992 or so that it came out. Um, and then uh, another one uh, a bit older than that, uh, but my first favorite combat simulator uh, had to be Chuck Yeager's Air Combat. Um, there was just something about that. Like even today, people still go back and say, you know, something about that always just felt right. And it was, uh, you know, the graphics would look laughable by today's standards. But back then, uh, things were, were 3D rendered, if, if still sort of flat shaded. But the thing that always struck me is, that unlike so many dogfighting games, um, if you play, you know, dogfighting arcade games, when the enemy you're chasing is off the screen, you always felt like the computer could cheat or the computer didn't really have to keep modeling it accurately. It's just, it's off your screen, so you don't see it. Now it's going to sort of appear somewhere else. Jaeger's Air Combat, you always believed that... that uh, there was logic to how the enemies that you were trying to shoot down were flying. And plus you could create these great scenarios, had these missions, but it had scenario builders. And it was something like, you know, there I was in my blank and you choose my F4 or my P51 or whatever. And I came across X number of, you know, 
MiG 15s and, you know, ME 109s. And then, man, those guys were, you know, terrible or pretty good or aces, you know, this kind of thing. And then uh, once you set it up, then you pushed go and, and, you know, you were, you were off and running and you could just, you could create all kinds of insane scenarios and, and do all kinds of fun combat stuff. Yeah. I remember kids loving that one. I remember that. And, uh, and there was something cool about it too. Like, I don't know if they do it so much anymore. I mean, with games, I mean, I, I guess they still do, but having that, sort of like this is like chuck yeagers or or you know in, in sports i know they do a lot of games where it's like this is endorsed by you know michael jordan or whatever like there was something kind of neat about that in my opinion of like like wow this this person says this is cool so it's it's cool <laughs> well and at the time too uh you know this this would, would have been at a point when you're probably first starting to see that um and I, I mean, I, I, I can't speak like to like the Michael Jordan or the, you know, the Madden football series or those kinds of things. But Jaeger was actually pretty heavily involved in this, uh, uh, in the development of this sim. It wasn't just something that they built and then, you know, they gave him some money and he snapped, slapped his name on it. He was actually, actually there and consulting and and uh, had a surprising amount of input, which I always thought was pretty cool back then. Yeah, Hal, you were uh, talking about. Um... Your, your mention of uh, Jaegers kind of triggered a couple of um, of older combat sims in my memory. The one of the ones I was I, I was always um, liked was the Jane series. Um, oh yeah. So Jane's USAF, I think, was uh, my friend had that one, and that was uh, that was so much uh, fun. There was a lot of of, of like fun, creatively um, crafted, you know, scripted missions in it in various aircraft. And but it was always did seem kind of odd to me that you know a, a book publisher would uh, would endorse a uh, uh a um a game like that but uh yeah right but you know jane's all the world's aircraft that's you know that's been the definitive go-to uh you know yeah. go-to reference I we use I, I still use jane's every day we've got i've got several in my personal collection but of course our library ada we've got either a complete or nearly complete run from 1909 uh on wow. up and it's it just you know you feel like you know, it feels like the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark or something. You go down there and, and go to the shelf and pull off this, you know, 110 <laughs> plus year old book to, uh, to look something up. Um, and, uh, and Jane's only had one and one hiccup in my opinion in their, uh, their century of credibility. And that was the whole Gustav Whitehead thing. But that feels to me like a topic for a whole other story. <laughs> As a native a of Connecticut, episode. I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I, you know, I, and my thing is, I think he was successful, but on his first attempt, he was successful, which would make Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, first in flight. So, wow. You know, well, I he think, did it yeah. in the middle of the night when the firefighters weren't looking, and, you know. <laughs> Here before we go. I, before I get all the hate mail, oh. I, I do acknowledge the Wright Brothers as the, uh, as the, the first flight. Oh. Well, that'd be a fun <laughs> episode, though. Uh, you know, there's a guy in our ultralight council, Mark Sulpler, who does a lot of writing for us too, who uh, is a real student of those early years. It'd be fun to get him on and really hash through some of those, some of the uh, some of the also rants, which I think are absolutely fantastic. Um, but before we uh, before we wrap this up, and I know we're we're going a bit long, um, before we get rid of uh, out of the sim world altogether, I've got to make a quick comment about. Uh, um, what's this year is just being called, you know, Microsoft Flight Simulator. So people are referring to it as Flight Sim 2020. Um, uh, if, first of all, if, if you're not aware that that uh, software is coming back, it is. It's coming back in a very, very big way. Um, I had a chance. I was uh, I got a very rare opportunity uh, to be invited uh, 
back to Microsoft last, uh, I think it was last October and get hands on, uh, hands on with it. It's not out yet. Uh, there's, they haven't even announced a release date. I know they're, they're doing an alpha test right now, but, um, so I used a pre alpha build, uh, out near Seattle back then I wrote about it on our blog. So inspiredidea.org, and you can find the story there pretty easily. Um, and, uh, if you've seen screenshots from it, if you've seen videos from it, uh, uh, as you read the the piece that I wrote, I think you'll find that even in a rough pre-alpha stage, it it works even better in person uh, than you think it's going to. It was absolutely absolutely astounding, and it's going to um, number one, it's going to I think reinvigorate the sim world. It's going to set a new bar for what people expect in terms of in terms of visuals and quality and things. Um, it's a it's a mind blower, and I. I cannot wait for that thing to come out. Yeah, me neither. I need to buy a new computer first, but me yeah, neither. Yeah, same here. <laughs> I was I'm say, so excited yeah, for it. We're going to be they'll be selling a lot of uh, a lot of new computers. But you know what's interesting is, um, uh, from from all accounts, from what I've seen of, of sort of the minimum and rec- and recommended and you know ultimate specifications, um, it's not going to be as uh, as rough on. Contemporary computers, even as uh, FSX was back in 2006. When that came out in 2006, the computer that could run it with all the sliders all the way up, everything maxed, simply didn't exist. Wow. It, it, just, it just didn't. And, you know, we told people that that was on purpose. It's, well, we want it to be good in the future, too. And it was really just, we did our best. We made it go as fast as we could, but come on. <laughs> and so, um, but now, you know, now a good modern day gaming computer can run FSX with everything all the way up. But early reports are saying that uh, that the new one is isn't really going to suffer from that. It's not like you're going to buy it now and then five years later you'll finally have a computer that can run it. It's it'll take a good powerful computer, but but uh, what I tested it on was I would describe as sort of upper mid range. I mean, it wasn't absolute, you know several thousand dollar workstations or anything else and uh and it's uh it's it's beautiful and i think it's going to get it's going to pick up where the old series left off in terms of getting some more people excited about the the beauty of flying for want of a better term yeah that's awesome i can't wait to see it well it's gonna be cool but uh all right. Well, this concludes part one of 37 of uh, <laughs> our planned series on simulations. Although, you know, we've, we've only done three parts of the movie one, and we feel like we've still barely scratched the surface there. There's more books we can talk about. Um, so lots more to do, lots more to talk about. But uh, with that, we will bring this one uh, to a close. Big thanks to everybody out there, uh, as always, for listening. Thanks so much for the, uh, the great reviews on places like iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, all the other places you can find the podcast. We appreciate the comments uh, uh, on the uh, blog pages uh, where the episodes go up, inspiredida.org. Get some really nice comments there. I saw some additional people had chimed in with their favorite books this morning, and that's always cool to see. So when this one's out there, please head over to uh, that same site, inspiredida.org. Let us know your favorite sims or your favorite sim experiences and, uh, you know, what we missed, what we should talk about next time. And uh, with that, uh, we'll wrap this one up. We'll see you next time when you are cleared to land on the green dot.